what's going on, anesthesia nerds? Have I got a treat for you today? Uh, I am talking with none other than Teresa Cosworth Roberts. She is a registered veterinary technician and she hails to us from the state of Louisiana. She is going to be talking uh, to us today about how we can implement effective change in our clinics. Now, you guys know you have probably gone to a conference, you probably went to a wet lab and you learned a new skill, especially in anesthesia. You come back to your clinic and it might be a little tough for you to implement that. So we're going to talk to her about ways she recommends that we go and can help our teams get better at change, how we can communicate better with each other. Um, She also is an independent consultant for National Veterinary Solutions. That's an organization that goes in and provides consultation and training services to veterinary technicians, to students, to assistants. So her real like big thing is training technicians and ultimately maximizing hospital efficiency, which I think is so, so important, you know, not only from an anesthesia pain management perspective, but just from a whole team approach to animal health care perspective. So everybody, please welcome Teresa to the Veterinary Anesthesia Nerds podcast. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. All right, Teresa. So tell us, what are you doing, before we kind of get into the, the meat of it, um, what are you doing right now as a technician? What does your every every day look like? Uh, every day for me is different. I am actually a unit leader at a major university where I manage a surgical teaching laboratory. Uh, although it's a surgical teaching laboratory, we have a number of, of different things that occur in our space. So we teach clinical skills. We offer free space and neuters for different shelters. If you name it and it can happen in that room, it does. Uh, so I oversee the, the day-to-day function, which for all intents and purposes is um, being a practice manager. Uh, when I am not working at the university, I also do practice management consulting, um, particularly my, my area of focus, uh, as you said, Uh, is practice management and practice efficiency. So I go out and do efficiency observations and observational interviews at different practices and point out areas where employees could potentially need additional training or areas that they're really shining on that that employers may want to continue focusing on to continue building and developing their team to get them exactly to where they need to be. Yeah, I think that what you, you said is is so important. Um, I think when we were talking before we started recording and you said something about really being proud of being a change agent and like enjoying that. Uh, and I think in anesthesia, especially now, I know again, self-admittedly, you've said you're not necessarily team anesthesia. And that's totally cool. Because <laughs> let me tell you, I'm probably not the best practice manager. Um, I am definitely a uh, border collie when it comes to assignments. Um, if anybody has followed me on Instagram knows that I just ordered like a special <laughs> timer for myself because uh, uh, my therapist recommended that I get this little ADHD timer that's like can keep me focused. Um, because I think as a practice manager, I would be all over the places. There's so many things that you have to keep track of. And one of them of course, is efficiency, is patient safety, is the best quality of care. So let's talk about it. If you go into a, a clinic and you're doing a little bit of a consult with them, and let's say that 
I'll give you a scenario that comes up a lot for me when I go out and I'm doing relief work or I'm speaking at conferences and technicians will come up to me and they will say to me, or even doctors will sometimes, you know, young associate doctors will come up to me and they'll say, I learned this new technique. Like, let's just say it's a local block or something like that. They learned this new technique. They went to a conference. They learned it. They're really excited about it. And they come back to the clinic and there's either fear around it. There's not buy-in. Um, the owner is unwilling to let them try it. What do you say to these technicians or doctors who want to elevate the standard of care and they want to make some changes, but they're coming up against resistance? Um, I don't think that you know anybody should just be like, well, I'm just going to do it. But I also don't want to discourage people from learning new things and elevating the standard of care. So what's that balance, in your opinion, and all the practices you've been in and all the students that you've taught and groups of people you've worked with? Let's talk about some ways that you would advise that people can make positive change and get the whole team involved. The, the first thing that, that I look at whenever someone comes to me and says they, they want to make some sort of change or when whenever I want to make a change, the first thing that I always want is data to support the need for the change. So if you saw something at a conference that you thought was really great or that'll make a big difference, before you approach me who's in a position of leadership or before you consider going to anyone else, you need to know more information about it. Just knowing what you saw in the in a wet lab is fine, but I, I would like to see studies and data and information behind what you're proposing. Uh, if there's not that information available because it's a fairly new concept, let's talk about p potentially doing a, a research project or moving towards publication, working with the, the data that we have available. So before you speak to anyone, it's important that you know what you're talking about and that you are clearly able to show how what you're suggesting is going to work or better benefit the hospital or practice as a whole. Okay, which I think is is really an important point. So let's say that I have learned this technique and I have a couple of studies to um, to prove my case. Mm -hmm. Do you think that this is something that's best to go kind of one on one with a hospital manager? Is it best presented in a staff meeting? How do we get everybody kind of also excited about this new thing I'm trying to implement? One of the most important things that you can do uh, when trying to institute change, whether it's a tiny little change, like getting rid of technicians having to fill hep saline all the way to a big protocol change, is to have major stakeholder buy-in. So one of the first things that that I do to, to make a change is if, if I'm making a, a change it with our anesthesia machines or a, a different protocol, I'm going to go to the head of anesthesia and say, hey, doc, do you have a few minutes? And then I'm going to sit down with her. I'm going to tell her what change I'd like to make and have all of my data. And if I can get that major stakeholder to buy in from there, I have an important person backing me for this change. So if whether it's a practice manager or an anesthesiologist or the, the owner, you need to have someone behind you. Yeah, I agree. So um, let's say that you do have somebody behind you and, you know, either the hospital administrator or the medical director, they're behind you. You roll it out at a staff meeting and some of the key people who maybe have been there for 10, 15 years are really reluctant to it. And they're saying, wait, 
we've done it this way for 15 years and we've never had a problem. Like, how do you get some of those people on board? Um, you know, what are some key words that we can use to kind of get them, you know, without saying, well, it's my way or the highway, right? Like, how can we get people who are crossing their arms and saying, you know, we've never had a problem before to kind of see our side and, and be a little more flexible? That that is where your management team is going to come into play. But we, when we're sitting down with them and rolling something out, we need to explain what we want to do and why. And I treat it the same way that I do when I'm introducing my five year old to something new. This is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. Even if you don't like it, you don't have to immediately buy in. But I still need you to just try it. So we're going to go ahead and try it for just six months. We're going to try this. We're going to see how it works. We are going to actively work to see that it 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 goes through. We're not just going to give a half-hearted try. We are really going to try and fulfill this. And then after the clear time frame or timeline that we have, then we can address it. But it, it needs to be made abundantly clear by the major stakeholders or administrators that we're not just going to cross our arms and pout. We are actively going to try this and see if it can benefit our practice. And I have found that at the end of the, the six month period or whatever period I give major change, those people who objected rarely object at the end of that time if they are actually trying and actually making the effort to buy in. Yeah, I think that you're correct. And I think the one thing you mentioned that I like and I wish more people would do is set a definite time on it and have maybe a point person who's keeping track of that. Um, I don't know if it's been in your experience, but at least in my experience, we try to roll out something. We say, we're going to try this, but we don't put a time frame on it. We try it for maybe two to three weeks. And then we keep, then we go right back to the way we've always done it because that's our comfort zone. Um, do you think that having somebody, you know, as, as a checks and balances system to make sure that we are keeping with the new system, we are trying it still, um, and then constantly getting feedback? Like, tell us about that. How does it work, like look during that six-week period? So the, the major checks and balance system is going to be your... I know we hate this phrase, but your middle managers. So your technician managers, the shift leaders, uh, if you are, are overseas, uh, your charge nurses, those people who, who are the middleman between upper management and the administration, they need to be the system of checks and balances. They need to make sure that we're doing everything that we need and that we're really sticking to that timeline. They need to hold everyone's feet to the fire. Yeah, I think I do agree. I think that having and I and I also think that that probably goes along with, again, just having buy in, right? Having mm -hmm. buy in from everybody from the upper management and those key um, stakeholders to the middle management to the people carrying out the work. I mean, all the way to right. If we're talking about something like an anesthet anesthetic change or a pain management change, especially um, all the way to the receptionist. Right. Because we know mm -hmm. that we instituted some change or some like major change in how we deal with patients postoperatively. Uh, we want to make sure that our, our all the way down to our CSRs understand why we're doing it just because I don't know if you've ever, uh, I started out as a CSR way, way back in the day. And I remember having one CSR who would just get people on the phone and she'd be like, well, now we're requiring this. So you probably should just go somewhere else. <laughs> 
Because she didn't agree with the change that was being made. So again, I think like buy-in from the whole staff really is going to be key here. And then, Teresa, since this is your area of expertise, talk to us about, just from a technician perspective, but also a practice management perspective, when a technician comes back and has an idea and this idea gets implemented and it is a positive benefit for not only the patient, but the staff, at least in my experience, I think that that's really beneficial for the technician kind of taking ownership of their job uh, and, and having kind of like a say in the, in the care. And Mm -hmm. I think that that helps with job longevity. I think it is better patient care. I think that if technicians feel like they are a part of the team that's making these decisions, they're going to enjoy their jobs more and stay in them longer. Do you feel that that is true in your eyes as a practice manager? Absolutely. So one one of the things that excites me as, as a practice manager or as a consultant is when I go into a practice and someone has gone to a major conference or done a wet lab and they come back and they have all of these ideas that they're exciting excited about implementing because that means that I have engaged employees and one of the things that that I want to do whether or not I like the idea or not is I want to encourage that employee to keep doing these things so I'm going to encourage them get me more data on this get me more information on this and I want you as the employee to come up with a, a way for us to implement this and come up with a plan. Um, because I, I'm also, when I do that with employees, I'm building communication skills with them and, and time management skills for them um, and, and also helping the, them develop skills at instituting organizational change. But I'm also going to back them 100% with instituting those changes because I know that if I can get their coworkers to buy in and be as excited about these changes as they are, that helps with my employee engagement and employee longevity. But it, it also helps other employees know that their opinions and contributions are valued as well. So it is a wonderful morale booster. I, I know that Change can be really, really difficult sometimes, but if we show our team members that we are open to their areas of expertise and making changes that benefit them and the practice as a whole, it does nothing but boost morale and engagement for all involved. Of course, of course. And um, maybe you can give us kind of some insight from your, your practice management time. Kind of the opposite. Have you ever seen an employee go to a practice manager or to a medical director with an idea, with an, ex, you know, something they're excited about and then be shot down. And then what kind of happens after that with them and the team? I, I have seen it. Uh, and it's always unfortunate when I see it because I'm, I'm usually hearing about it after the fact. And I hear about it from other employees, not from that person, because that person usually leaves shortly thereafter. Uh, whenever an employee is told no about something that they're excited about and there aren't clear, legitimate reasons why, that employee starts to lose heart and become disengaged employees. And a disengaged employee becomes a completely disinterested employee and they either move to somewhere else with a practice that will engage them and use them to their full potential or they become a toxic employee. 
So either way, the practice is, is losing that employee. So I have seen that a lot, but I am usually walking in on the back end and seeing it after that person has already gone and other team members and morale has suffered because of what happened with that employee. Wow. I didn't, I just had like a light bulb moment as you were saying that, because I think I just assume that everybody is similar to me in that I have been at places where I've been really excited about things. And if I continuously get get shot down, I I do move on. I'm just going to move on to a place that has my same vision and that kind of thing. But as you were saying, if they don't move on and they kind of become toxic employees, it just like I had a light bulb because I I have worked with those people. Um, And I'm now like putting it together like, oh, they probably were just so, um, you know, downtrodden and they weren't listened to and their ideas weren't respected. That's the reason that, you know, I come in and I'm so like gung ho. And then you have these people who are like... (laughs) It doesn't matter. Um, nothing's going to change around here anyway. Like, don't waste your time. Don't oh that. Don't waste your time even talking to them. They don't care. Mm, yeah. Wow. And when, whenever you meet those those people, those toxic employees, whenever possible, and and when it's not infect, affecting your mental health, take the time to talk to them and get to know them. Eighty percent of the time, they're brilliant, just incredibly disengaged employees who don't care anymore. And when you really get to know them, it's because things have changed significantly or they had different ideas or things that they brought to the table that were shut down. It's almost like taking an excited dog who's excited to see you and they're bouncing and jumping everywhere and mom, look at me, mom, look at me, mom, look at me. And every time they do that, you hit them or you shove them down or something like that. Eventually, they're going to stop jumping up. That's 100% true. They're going to stop jumping up, but they might also cower when they see you or sit there and, and be the, the upset dog that's growling at you. I know, I know that's a horrible way to, to refer to us as technicians, but whenever you have an excited, engaged employee and you ignore them, that needs to be what goes through your head. It's what am I teaching them? Oh, 100%. And I mean, not only do you ignore them, I mean, I don't know. Um, I've unfortunately worked with some clinicians. Now, I will say that, thankfully, this is not the majority. This is definitely the minority. Um, but I've worked with some clinicians that downright will be rude to technicians for being excited about, uh, like, you know, when you're in the beginning of your career, and you're excited about just putting a catheter in, right? Like, don't belittle that, but I've seen some people like belittle these kind of beginner wins. And I've seen people, um, I've seen some clinicians belittle people for asking questions, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then instead of asking questions, you're kind of just, you know, you, you're like, okay, well, I guess I'm just not going to say anything. I'm just going to stand over here. Um, and we know that if you don't feel safe to ask questions, Ultimately, if you make a mistake, you're not going to be you're not going to feel safe to own up to that mistake. And then patient care is going to suffer. You're not going to have a good time at work. The patients aren't having a good time. This ultimately is going to lead to, you know, like what you were saying, this toxic environment. So I think, as you were saying, it's it's just a great example of even if as a practice manager, let's say you you, the technician or somebody comes to you with an idea that they got at a conference, even if at the first glance you as a practice manager are like, oh, I don't know if that's going to work. Um, instead of just saying that right off the bat, like, nope, not going to work. Um, what are some things that 
Because I always like to say, like, keep an open mind, right? Don't believe everything you think. So what are some ways that we can continue that conversation and how if other practice managers are listening to this podcast right now, um, if somebody comes to you with an idea that at first glance you're like, oh, I don't know, how can you keep the conversation going so that both parties feel heard and respected? Uh, the, the way that I do it is I, I use my my HR voice instead of saying, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I say, hmm, I, I'm not quite sure I understand what you're trying to explain to me. Can you show it to me in a way that I better understand? Or before we present this to the the others in the administration, can you go back in and get me a little bit more information? Can you go online and see if you can pull some studies or get more information on how implementing this would work. That way, I'm not blowing them off. I'm not shutting them down. I'm saying, I don't quite understand. I need you to show me more information or give me more information. And that way they see, I've been heard. She's not saying no. She's just saying, let's find out more about this first. Yeah, I think exactly right. I, I think, um, as we alluded to before, I think when somebody goes with a idea and they're really excited about it and the knee-jerk reaction is, nope, you know, or worse, uh, another staff member says, don't even, don't even approach the hospital director with that idea. Like, it's not even worth it. Um, those are some red flags and some things we need to change. And as, as a fellow change agent in this, this field, um, think that you and I have both been in it for a while now. We see some great things that are happening. We see some frustrating things. And Teresa, just as we kind of close out, not necessarily anesthesia-related, but profession-related, veterinary medicine, doctors, technicians, et cetera, in your mind, what are a few key ways that we can, what do you see as the things that we really need to focus in on to move this profession forward, to make being a veterinary technician a sustainable career choice. You know, you've been in it for a, a while. So what keeps you going and what are some ways that you've kind of built your resilience? Uh, one of the, the ways that I try to stay resilient is by supporting others and and working with students. I mean, I, I work at a vet school. I love working with students. I teach veterinary technology. And one of the, the biggest things that I see or one of the things that keeps me motivated is having brand new baby technicians or, or baby DVMs come in and working with them to build their confidence and, and build their skills. And that goes right along with, with what we were saying about giving employees chances and opportunities and celebrating things with them and not, for lack of a better phrase, pissing in people's Cheerios because we don't think it's where they, we don't think they're where they should be. And to go back to what you said before, when, whenever we have a new employee or, or anybody come in with, with an idea, the best example that I can give is in technician groups on Facebook. When students are in ClinPath and they're posting their first blood smear and they are the most rinky-dink, raggedy blood smears you'd ever see in your entire life but they're so proud of them and they tried so hard and they went through 50 slides to be able to get that feathered edge. When you see these posts in Facebook groups, instead of being the teacher and saying, man, that's great. That's fantastic. I don't know how hard you worked on it, but I can really tell that you were really trying and making an effort. 
nine times out of ten, if you go into a, a technician group and look up those blood smear posts, every person on there is talking about, oh, you should have done this different or that different or that different. So we need to make sure that we are building each other up and not tearing each other down. Uh, and from there, that until we support each other, our profession's not going to grow and get to where it needs to be. Oh, I, yeah, I 100% agree with you. And <clears throat> I'll tell you, um, as somebody who runs a very large Facebook group, um, there is a lot. Um, I will say that on Anesthesia Nerds, we do, the administrators and I try very hard to shut down any kind of negative negativity, bullying, et cetera. But we know that it happens a lot on Facebook. Um, Facebook is like the worst, man. Um, mm -hmm. But I agree with what you're saying because, you know, I have been into some clinics where I go in and they're really like rigid about the way they tape in catheters. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to use, what are you doing? You're only using three pieces of tape here. We use five pieces of tape. What are you doing? Your last place, you did it wrong. And that's the thing. I think that's the thing I love about anesthesia, right? And anesthesia is very rarely a wrong, like completely wrong answer. It's shades of gray, man. So if you, if your opioid of choice is methadone, but over here, the back clinic's opioid of choice is fentanyl, whatever, dude, like, okay, I'm just happy you're using an opioid. Never gonna, I just don't want us to get into a clinic and get so rigid uh, of what we're doing in our clinic that that is the only way. There's so many ways to practice medicine, right? And to give spectrum of care. And I think that we gotta kind of get out of our own way of thinking that our way is the only way or the best way, you know? Um, certainly I, I do relief at a very top tier university. And that's kind of the joke is that, you know, when you get out of school, that you're a, you're a pen we and everything we do is this way. And I think what's nice, and I actually really love working at, at uh, the university and seeing the new, not only technicians that come through, but the vet students that come through. And I just work with some fantastic fucking anesthesiologists. They're so smart. Um, but like you said, just seeing that excitement, right? Like, Seeing a technician put that cephalic catheter in for the first time and get it. Listen, babe, I don't care what your tape looks like. Is it secure? I yeah. don't care. <laughs> I'm so happy that you got that catheter in and you feel good about it. The first time somebody um, is able to intubate in lateral, right, when they've been used mm -hmm. to doing it in sternal. I'm so excited for you because that's another skill in your toolbox, right? Like anybody who says like, oh, you have to do it this one way. You have to do this. Listen, as long as you're not boxing down all your cats that come in, anesthesia yep. is shades of gray. And there's a lot of different you know, spectrum of care that we can talk about. So I'm just happy when people are willing to learn new things, want to learn new things and always want to get better and lift up the people around us. Right. We always want to make our coworkers better and et cetera. So. Uh, you've given us a lot to think about. Uh, <laughs> certainly, uh, again, I'm not a practice manager, but someday if I ever become a practice manager, oh, Lord help that practice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, I'll, I'll, don't worry, I'll have my little timer with me. So I'll make sure I stay on task if I ever go that route, which I probably won't. But very, very wise words from, from Teresa. As she says, said, you guys, we always need to be looking out for each other and working together and lifting each other up. And if somebody comes into your practice and they're really excited about a new idea, give them the time and the space to kind of flesh it out and work on it together as a team. 
So, Teresa, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast, talking about uh, effective change, maximizing efficiency, and ways that we can work together as a team to kind of create change when change feels scary. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for having me. And I am going to need the link to that timer, by the way. Oh, I want, I'll send it to everybody. Listen, this thing is the best $20 ever. <laughs> um, and Teresa, I know that sometimes you do some kind of speaking or consulting and stuff. If people are interested and want to, want to find you or, or know more about you, um, where will you be? What are you doing? Is there anywhere online people can find you? Uh, we are still working on the website. We got hacked, so we had to take it uh, down. Um, but I can be emailed at tlcr at nationalveterinarysolutions.com. Okay, and we will put that email address in the show notes for everybody. So in case you want to chat with Teresa, if you're interested in having her um, as a consult for your practice, maybe your practice needs a little kick in the ass boost of change, she is the one to do it. All right. So thank you very much, Teresa, for being a guest. And we uh, hope to hear from you again soon. Thank you very much.